to the Queen of the Court podcast, your place for chats on all things growth, healing, and thriving through everyday parenting. I'm your host, Courtney Walker-Owens. I'm a homeschooling mom of seven, wellness advocate, self-proclaimed strengths genius, and an author. I am here to inspire and empower you into a lifestyle of elevated living and passionate growth. Because while I may not be good at a lot of things, I am the queen of these things. Are you ready to dive in? Grab your coffee or mix up a smoothie and let's get started. This is the Queen of the Court podcast. about today's bonus episodes that are part of my series of my favorite things. So today I am actually releasing two episodes all about personal development, personal growth, and because really I don't feel like I can talk about one without also talking about the other. They're both really important. So first up is this episode on the Enneagram. And the next episode that will drop later this evening is all about strengths. So these two tools have been really key for me, honestly, in the past five years. So much so that in 2019, when I wrote my book, I actually talked about them both. So let's jump into the Enneagram first thing. And to start off, I'm going to read you a quick excerpt from chapter two of my book, Metamorphosis of a Mommy. The test that has really helped satisfy my desire to learn more about myself and why I am the way I am has been the Enneagram. I know, I know. All the celebrities talk about it. It seems like a Southern preacher on late night TBN should condemn the obviously demonic pentagram-like picture that represents the Enneagram. It would be followed, obviously, by a rerun of Kurt Cameron's latest hit. All Pentecostal joking aside, though, the lines and arrows within the picture are just a way to connect the nine different types. The Enneagram has truly helped me to see myself and others from a totally different perspective. So that's from chapter two of my book. And two years later, I feel the same. We're going to talk a little bit about just the basics of the Enneagram today. The basic concept of the Enneagram is that there are nine types that each person will fit into. Within those nine types, you have a spectrum that takes you from healthy to unhealthy. There's also a different type that you sort of mimic when you're operating out of a healthy state of growth. And there is then another type that you mimic when you're operating out of a highly stressed or a fearful state. So when you look at the picture of the Enneagram and you see nine numbers in a circle, and then you see all these arrows 
the arrows are pointing to the, the direction of growth or the direction of stress. So according to the Enneagram Institute, everyone emerges from childhood with one of the nine types dominating their personality, with inborn temperament and other prenatal factors being the main determinants of our type. This is one area where most all of the major Enneagram authors agree we are born with a dominant type. Subsequently, this inborn orientation largely determines the way in which we learn to adapt in our early childhood environment. Okay, so that's what the Enneagram Institute says. But basically, guys, this is just the age-old nature versus nurture conversation. And just as most scholars and most of us have come to understand is that you need both, right? The Enneagram is also a little bit of both because it's a spectrum of growth. But also because we are born leaning in a certain direction, right? Like this gives us that nature piece. But the traumas and experiences that we have in our life can absolutely change us, representing that nurture piece. So I want to kind of run through the nine basic types, and then we'll go from there. I'm going to give you the descriptors found from the Enneagram Institute. And these are one-word descriptors that can be expanded into sets of traits. But remember, please, that these are highlights. These are not representing the full spectrum of each type. So this just gives you a basic idea. Type one is principled, purposeful, self-controlled, and perfectionistic. Type two is generous, demonstrative, people-pleasing, and possessive. Type three is adaptable, excelling, driven, and image conscious. Type four is expressive, dramatic, self-absorbed, and temperamental. Type five is perceptive, innovative, secretive, and isolated. Type six is engaging, responsible, anxious, and suspicious. Type 7 is spontaneous, versatile, acquisitive, and scattered. Type 8 is self-confident, decisive, willful, and confrontational. Type 9 is receptive, reassuring, complacent, and resigned. Now, that is just an overview, okay? I'm not going to go much deeper into the different types in this podcast because there is not enough time in the world to do more than just give you that simple overview. If you can hang tight, there's more coming in the next couple months, and I'll talk about that in a little bit. If you're just dying to get into the directions of growth and stress, the spectrum of health, and more details like that, Head over to EnneagramInstitute.com for all of that. And yes, I will link it up in the show notes. So another piece to the Enneagram that I do want to go over today, which a lot of people get overwhelmed by, is wings. Some people, but not all, 
have a wing that balances out their type. For example, after digging into the Enneagram, I have found that I am a three wing four. That means that I identify as a three and I really feel like that resonates with me. But also, I have some features of an Enneagram 4 that I've picked up in my life that also resonates. I have to be clear, your wing is not always your secondary number that pops up when you take the test. So a lot of people make this assumption, and I'll kind of explain it. I'll also talk more about tests and finding out your number in just a few minutes. But when you go to take a test for the Enneagram, it doesn't just give you an answer. It's not a BuzzFeed quiz, okay? <laughs> it's not definitive. Usually, they will give you multiple answers that your test answers, okay? So they'll give you all these results that your test answers will most likely point to. So they're going to give you multiple numbers. A lot of people will take their highest two outcomes and just assume that this means that it is their Enneagram number followed by their wing. And that's not the case. That's just not true. If it were, my number would be a seven with a three wing. <laughs> uh, no joke. So the real truth about the wings is if you have a wing, you may not, but if you do, it will be one of the two numbers next to your dominant number. Okay? It has to be next to your number on the Enneagram or in general in number order, right? So for me as a three, my wing options are either a two or a four. That's it. I don't have other options. <laughs> that's because they are wings that balance out my number. Imagine that the three is a bird with a wing on either side, right? It's going to balance. So to use myself as an example again, my four wing often balances out the intensity that comes with being a type three. Not only am I exemplifying that high achieving driven nature of a three, but now often my need for beauty and creativity can soften those edges. If I were a three wing two, I may have different attributes that might balance me out. Perhaps serving others and making sure their needs were met would be my definition of success and I would my drive would be towards those things. In fact, I was pretty easily able to tap into those characteristics when I was a doula. It came easily to me to learn how to do those things, although it isn't something I naturally do. I was able to adapt since it was near to my main number. So I had the ability as a three to kind of tap into the two-ness or the four-ness, right? So Enneagram expert Ian Morgan Cron says that he has found that throughout our life, those of us with a wing may even change which wing we use with age or with maturity. The general consensus among experts that I have read is pretty accurate and lining up with that. Um, it's that the wings can change or be used sometimes and not others, but our main Enneagram numbers don't really shift too much. The way that I, or the reason, I guess, that I think this works is really because of how the Enneagram is broken down. So the nine numbers fit into three centers or triads. 
that group together types that have similar assets and liabilities. That definition of assets and liabilities is uh, from the Enneagram Institute. So think of the Enneagram numbers, that they go one through nine in a circle, as you have probably seen. And if you haven't, just Google it. You can see the picture. Um, but think of it in a circle, and you're going to divide it like a pie into thirds. So we have three pie pieces. These are our three centers or triads. So number two, three, and four are together in the feeling or heart center. Five, six, and seven are in the thinking or head center. Eight, nine, and one are in the instinctive or gut center. These three centers, within them there are instinctive issues or emotional responses that are common. It, this is neither good nor bad, but we find that these struggles, these... Um, past, present, future ways that we think of things and also just our emotional responses to most things can be common among these centers, okay? So in the feeling or heart center, this would be numbers two, three, and four, we see self-image issues, seeking attention, and a past orientation rather than present or future, as well as an emotional response of shame. Now in the thinking or head center for five, six, and seven, it's common to find anxiety and insecurity issues, a seeking of security or safety, a future orientation, and an emotional response of fear. Then lastly, in the instinctive or gut center for 8, 9, 1, we often see boundary issues, a resistance of the present, and an emotional response of anger or rage. Guys, today's podcast is simply the beginning of the tip of the iceberg in your Enneagram journey. I'm going to link up a couple of podcasts I love the Enneagram Institute website, as well as the link to my book, um, all in the show notes. Before we wrap up, though, I want to talk about how you find your number. The first step that I highly suggest is to take a test. Now, this is debated among many people. A lot of people will be like, don't take a test, just go read. But I know some of us need a place to start. So that's why I say take a test. You can take a free version or you can pay the $12 for the test on the website. Um, either way is fine, honestly. I highly suggest, though, okay, here's, here's where it comes, that you do not just take those test results as gospel truth. They aren't really created in that manner. The goal of the test is to give you a starting point. So... Once you get, so these tests, they give you like the Enneagram numbers in order of what you most likely are based on your test results. So it's not giving it to you like, this is definitely your answer. It's giving you options. So 
What I suggest is you take your top two to three possibilities, and then this is when the fun begins. <laughs> you listen to podcast episodes on those possible types. Follow someone like Enneagram Ashton on Instagram and, and check out her graphics. She has these great graphics uh, that talk through the pod, uh, not podcasts, but talk to the possible. Um, she has a podcast. That's what I meant to say there. <laughs> but she uh, talks about the possible types that you might have and just their characteristics. Read lots of books. You know, listen to the upcoming episodes I'm doing in a couple months and just really see what resonates. But the key here is you have to do the work. You have to have enough self-awareness to know what feels right and to know what just feels right in your soul, even if it doesn't feel really great. And I'll explain to you what I mean by that. You know, a lot of times life experiences and just hard times and stress and all of those things can kind of cloud our self-awareness. So I'm not going to tell you that like the number that I'm pretty sure I am right now won't change later or that I'll realize, wow, I thought it was this way. But now that I've gained some perspective, I think that maybe I was this all along and that's OK because the Enneagram isn't definitive, if that makes sense as far as a way to find your answer. And I know that's hard for a lot of people. If you're maybe an Enneagram one or you are just a really black and white person, not having a set answer can be tricky. So let me tell you about when I first read my results. I was expecting a seven only because that's what had been projected to me my whole life, right? That like, I'm this great, over-the-top, outgoing girl. I like to have fun and, you know, all of the things. But when I began to really read into that type, my core fears and core desires are nothing of what a seven is. Just because I'm bubbly and excitable and I like to have fun in everything that I do, it doesn't mean I'm a seven, so when that came up first, I figured it would be right, right? I figured, of course, this is what I was expecting. But when I began to dig in and start learning more, seven was so very wrong. <laughs> it wasn't me. You know, I may love to have fun, but I'm not spontaneous at all. I have to have a plan, guys. And sure, I'm distractible and scattered, but I also have ADHD. So that's not really my personality. It's just something that's in my life that I have to work through. But then I read the three description. Driven, pragmatic, terrified of failure. <laughs> Hello. Uh, needs to appear successful to feel loved or accepted. Image conscious and concerned with how they're viewed by others. Gross. I hated that. That description is terrible. <laughs> but I couldn't deny that it was me. It wasn't totally me, but it was really close. And some of that stuff hit pretty close to home. So I kept diving in. Then I learned about wings. And I read up on what I thought maybe my wing might be. And I learned about the spectrum of growth. And I learned about how threes cope in stress. And holy moly... That was me. When I pieced it all together, that felt right. 
So take that story and do the work, guys. Please don't read the first test result and just accept it as reality. Take the time to dig in. I'm going to be releasing a free resource for you all on October 1st. I know that seems like a really far away date, but just trust me, it's going to be good. Uh, I'm working on this quick and easy ebook. It'll give you all the resources and first steps to taking your test, learning about your type, utilizing oils in your self-development and growth process, and some more fun little things. So be on the lookout for that, as well as my Enneagram series coming up later this fall. So this is the end of our Enneagram chat for today. And while the Enneagram is incredible, I'm dropping an episode on strengths this evening. And if I'm being honest, combining my knowledge of both of these is actually where I have seen the most growth. I'll share a little bit about why that is and why I love strengths even more than typical personality tests, even a test as awesome as the Enneagram. I do love both, so that's why we're doing both episodes. I just couldn't choose between them, even though if I had to, I'd probably pick strengths if I'm being honest. So that's it. Be on the lookout for that. Uh, thank you for joining me. Thank you for continuing to show up here with me. I hope this has been a helpful explanation that has you wanting to learn more, that has you desiring to seek more knowledge on this topic because it's fun. It's a fun one. All right, guys, that's all for right now. I will see you soon on the next Queen of the Court podcast.